Welcome to NACSW's Podcast of the Month. Our podcast program makes available 20-minute samples of recordings of a wide variety of NACSW presentations and discussions on topics of particular interest to Christians in social work. Our Podcast of the Month program features a new sample podcast every 30 days for your listening pleasure. In addition, you can access the full-length version of this and all NACSW podcasts at no cost simply by becoming a member of NACSW or by ordering a copy of this podcast at a reasonable cost on NACSW's online bookstore. We hope you enjoyed today's sample podcast. Uh, today I'm going to be uh, sharing with you some results from a research project that I uh, have been conducting over a number of years and sort of have been able to bring this to an end. And so uh, the title of today's presentation is uh, Preparing for Practice, the Faith Integration Experiences of Christian Social Work Students. So the um, original presentation, uh, the original research study was really uh, designed with an education focus, so I just want to put that out there. I was really hoping to um, be helpful for social work education programs. But there are also some definite um, uh, ramifications for the practice world as, as well. So I'm going to really try to focus today's presentation on even though my, my sample were social work students or recent social work students, what does this mean for social work practice? And I'm actually going to ask you all who are in practice for some feedback when we get towards the end um, and really kind of hoping that you might be able to assist in um, future research projects around this exact topic. So be prepared for that uh, as we move on. So I do want to acknowledge uh, the support of NACSW and several NACSW members who actually uh, were very critical in putting this project together in the first place. So I had several folks that I had met at an NACSW conference who wanted uh, to know more about this topic. We had some conference calls where people gave some great ideas about what the project should be and how we should go about doing it. And uh, you know, NACSW supported a lot of this. So I just want to put that out there that um, I owe them gratitude for having been able to do this project. Okay, so this presentation will summarize the results of a qualitative research project, and I'll explain a little bit more about what that means and, and the methods behind that, which explored the experiences of Christian students related to faith integration in their social work education programs. And these findings will be used as springboard for discussion, as I mentioned earlier, um, of the implications of these on social work practice. We're going to try to stay away from the purely educational focus and, and move us uh, to look at practice. Okay, so this project had a couple of research questions uh, that we're looking to be explored. So first of all, the overall question, what are the experiences of Christian students in social work educational programs related to uh, faith integration? So overall, what, what is that like for them? Okay. More specifically, I wanted to explore what opportunities do Christian students find related to faith integration. Okay. And then at the same time, what challenges or obstacles did Christian students experience uh, related to faith as they were going through their social work programs? Okay. So those two ideas. And then, again, for this presentation, what do these findings mean for beginning social work practice? Do we need the lights on, or is that still okay? Okay. All right, so let me tell you what 
is happening in the literature that led me to um, think that this would be an interesting uh, research question. So some of you may know some of this already, and, and again, this is a very brief version of, of the literature, but I think it's important for you to understand what was, what was out there that really kind of prompted um, this, this discussion among myself and colleagues. So there were several uh, research projects that uh, looked at this same exact kind of research question. And what those found was that there was a perception among Christian social work students that uh, there were hostile and discriminatory attitudes and actions against or towards Christian social workers by other social workers. Okay, and you can see several um, research uh, projects that looked at that, and, and those were those were the findings. Okay. Now I'll just note at this point in time that these were all um, quantitative research projects, so looked at collecting information via, typically by a survey, survey instrument. Okay, so that was one of the reasons for me specifically choosing a qualitative methodology, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. Okay? And then another thing to note is this uh, perceived discrimination was tied specifically to social workers who were identified as theologically conservative. Okay? So for, so, for Christian social workers who were anything other than that, this did not seem to be as much of an issue for them. Okay? Now, I want to make it clear right now because my research project looked at this a little bit differently. So, theologically conservative, I put that in quotation marks here because this was how the researchers uh, defined people. Okay, so they asked questions about what denomination are you, those kinds of things, and then the researchers put people into these categories. So they made some assumptions based on things like denominational affiliation, whether somebody was theologically conservative or not. Okay, so um, I did mine a little bit differently because I know from my own experience, just because you belong to a denomination doesn't necessarily mean that you sort of fully engage yourself in that particular, um, you know, doctrine sort of to its fullest, okay? So that's important to keep in mind because um, my results will show you how that looks when I ask people to uh, put themselves in the category instead of me doing it for them, okay? And then also in these projects, there were some similar findings that related to how Christian clients are often viewed by social workers as well. So not just how we view each other, but also some attitudes that social workers might tend to have mm -hmm. about clients who are Christian and particularly theologically conservative Christians. Okay? So that's important to keep in mind as well. So I didn't so much delve into that piece, although that's a great kind of next step that I think those of you in practice might be able to help me discern um, how much of this you think is sort of happening Okay. And then from NACSW, I had some conversations with uh, Rick Camiot Case, who's the executive director, and one of his roles is offering support for people who are needing some around faith integration. So he hears a lot of people expressing their concerns about uh, faith integration. So he has kind of kept a, a running list of the kinds of tensions that Christian social work students uh, tend to be feeling when they're in social work education. So these are some of the things that he says he hears on a regular basis in terms of where people tend to struggle. Okay? 
So uh, admissions process, oftentimes people have felt discriminated against um, as they're applying for schools of social work in terms of maybe um, not being admitted to programs that they you know, were openly um, you know, honest about their faith and some of their perspectives and those kinds of things. Uh, internships, so people being concerned that they maybe were denied a particular internship because some assumptions were made uh, in those agencies about who they were uh, based on that sort of thing. Class assignments and projects, some, some potential difficulties there in terms of maybe things that were assigned in classes that people felt uncomfortable participating in based on their faith perspectives or then turning in assignments that, that had a particular bent and a faculty member not accepting that or grading that, you know, lower than they would another perspective and all those kinds of things. NACSW has heard those concerns. Grades and, and some thought that, that some of the grades that people were, and again, keep in mind these are perceptions and I'm going to talk a little bit more about making sure that we're, that we're clear that we're talking about perceptions, but we're certainly not going to ignore those, okay, but they are perceptions, okay. Issues of people being dismissed from programs, feeling like that was based on how they presented as, um, as Christians in those programs. Uh, conflicts, some of them um, overt and some of them more covert that students have had with um, particular faculty members who perhaps have not um, been, well, if they have been less than supportive around faith integration issues. And then comments that perhaps were made by faculty and or students during class discussions about some of the issues that you know may that we may have disagreements about based on our faith perspectives and students, Christian students, feeling some hostility and, and perhaps um, discrimination based on those class discussions. So this is kind of the gamut of what NACSW is sort of thinking about. So that was helpful, and of course, these are part of the things that I wanted to explore in this particular project. So. While perception of religious discrimination doesn't guarantee that discrimination has actually occurred, and we're going to talk more about some of the things that I found that kind of relate to that in terms of, you know, for example, why, does, why, does, why how could two people experience a similar situation, one perceive that as discriminatory and another one not, right? So although this doesn't guarantee that discrimination has actually occurred, it is difficult to ignore this growing body of literature that really suggests this. Okay? So that's why it's important to think about that. On the other hand, and this is what piqued my interest, being that I'm a professor um, in a faith-based school where um, the goal really is to you know, prepare students to, to, do this, to do this kind of work. There are many Christian students who have um, not only survived, but really thrived in social work educational programs. And so what do they have to say what voice can they add to this conversation that might help us better understand not just the obstacles, if you will, but the opportunities that we have as people of faith, as, as Christians, in terms of making contributions, perhaps, to those programs. So this was an attempt not to ignore the, um, the challenges, to flesh those out a little bit more, but to also get that other piece, what, what helps make us successful, if you will some interesting things about that. So, exploration of the nuances between perception and reality, obstacles and opportunities. This is just a little plug. I have an article coming out in Social Work and Christianity, so those of you who are NACSW members, look for that. It's going to be in the, um, one of the next upcoming issues that is a full summary of 
of this particular project with the educational focus. But nonetheless, you might find it um, interesting if you want to take a look at that. Okay, so a little bit about the methodology. I don't want to bore you to death with uh, research kinds of things, but it, it is kind of important, I think, to understand exactly um, what happened here in terms of the method. So, as I already mentioned, I used a qualitative philosophy. So, um, and, and I am a qualitative researcher at heart, but the thought really here was um, we have a lot of good information that's come from surveys and other kind of quantitative um, sorts of ways of collecting data. But I really want to know more about um, what that means. So I want to take a look at um, sort of the depth, if you will, of this kind of question, right? And really explore that and, and what does that mean for people? So I decided um, a good thing to do at this point in the, in the scope of the literature would be to do a qualitative kind of project where we really ask questions that kind of get at the depth and, and explore more, you know, what, what are, so we know that these are some of the challenges. What does that mean? And how have people navigated that? And what have they done? And that sort of thing. So qualitative philosophy. For this particular uh, project, I used focus groups, okay? There are a couple of uh, benefits to focus groups. One is this idea of collective memory and multiple perspectives. So the idea that when you get a group of people together um, around a shared kind of issue, and as they begin to interact with each other, um, it helps you think of something that you experienced when somebody else says, you know, oh, that happened to me. And you say, oh, I remember this. And just a, a, maybe a richer sort of discussion than you might get if you met with somebody kind of one-on-one, -on -one where, you know, they're just giving you what they can remember in the moment. So there's some, uh, in the literature, there's some support for how focus groups can really uh, enrich the conversation there. And then practical concerns with focus groups um, is that they can be uh, much more economical to do than um, trying to meet with each person individually. If you've got a group of people, that's going to take less time and all that. And then you can also get a larger sample size um, if you do focus groups. So um, the N in this case was, was 30, so that would have taken me much, much longer to individually interview 30 people than it did to um, get that many people uh, in, in focus groups. Okay, so that was kind of the, the rationale for selecting a focus group uh, way to do it. I did use a semi-structured interview protocol, so there were uh, specific questions that guided those focus group discussions. I was the facilitator, went through and asked all those questions, and uh, that guided each of the four focus groups so that they were similar, um, and, and uh, we got to the issues that I wanted to get to in each of the four groups. The focus groups were audio recorded, and then those uh, recordings were actually uh, transcribed into a Word document, word for word, and then those transcriptions were analyzed line by line in terms of coming up with themes, which were then emerged, those themes emerged around the research questions. So that's the way that qualitative research works, and in this case, specifically what happens uh, in this, in this uh, project. So how did I recruit people for this? Uh, basically, I was able to do two focus groups at the NACSW conference that happened in 2009. Um, so people who were already there for the conference, uh, who were interested in this topic, was able to do that. And then I did two focus groups here in the Boston area using a proposed sampling technique, basically 
contacting some folks that I knew, asking them to come. They would ask other people, and I was able to get two groups that way. So between the four groups, um, I had 30 people who participated in this project. So in order to be um, part of the group, you had to be um, a recent graduate or a current student nearing completion of either a BSW, MSW, or PhD program. So it could, you could be uh, in social work education at any level. And also, you could either be in a secular program or a faith-based program. And you might wonder why include the faith-based folks. Interesting that we did because, as you're going to see later, um, some of the experiences were different between the two between the two kinds of programs, which is very interesting, okay? And uh, they had to identify as Christian, you know, very broadly. And then uh, they needed to be able to identify specific experiences related to faith and faith integration. If they really didn't have any that they really could share, you know, it might not be most appropriate to be in the folks group. So they, those, those were the basic uh, criteria that people had to meet in order to participate. Okay. So a little bit about what the sample ended up uh, looking like. So geographically, um, which makes sense if you see where I recruited from. So we had 12 participants from the Northeast, which were primarily my Boston folks, uh, 13 from the Midwest, and that made sense because of the location of the conference really drew from that particular population of people. Southeast, only four, and then people uh, in the West region only had one. So something I would definitely want to think about for the future uh, if I wanted to expand this more, is, you know, is the West Coast perspective different? Maybe, but I'd want to uh, maybe have more folks specifically from that area. Seven males and 23 females, which again, that's not unusual considering social work is um, predominantly uh, female dominated. I thought seven males was pretty good representation there. Highest level of social work education, so there were seven uh, participants who were at the BSW level. There were 18 who had an MSW. Some of them also had a BSW, but their highest level was MSW. And then there were five folks who were at the PhD level. Okay, so that was a nice range of people from the different levels. Age range, uh, the youngest participant was 21, and the oldest participant was 53. So again, a nice range there as well. Okay. And then here's where the... Um, ranking on the theological scale came into play. So I did ask people about their denominational affiliation, but I also asked them to tell me where they thought they fit on a scale. So I had you know, kind of a scale on one end being theologically conservative, one end being theologically liberal, and then some options in the middle there, and, and, and participants you know, circled where they felt they were on that scale. And that way, I was not responsible for putting people into categories solely based on denominational affiliation. They did that for themselves. And interestingly enough, um, this was beautiful actually, so I had nine people who classified themselves on the more liberal end of the scale, 11 people who were in the middle, and then 10 people on the more conservative scale. So if you're talking about sort of um, equality across the, across the scale, this worked out very nicely for me, so um, I was very happy about that. But does that make sense in terms of why I did that? specifically. I wanted people to um, to put themselves in a category before we begin the discussion. Okay, so that was what they looked like. Alright, and then um, findings, which we're getting to here. Basically, today I'm going to talk about the 
findings related to uh, specifically the obstacles and specifically the opportunity. There were some other findings, again, related specifically to um, social work education, and you can read about that in the article, um, but I'm not going to talk about those, um, those in particular facts per se. Okay, so let's start with the obstacles. So keep in mind, all of the focus groups, transcriptions were looked at, analyzed line by line, and then those ideas, those codes are put together into these, into these larger uh, thematic sort of categories. So the first theme related to obstacles that people experienced. Thank you for listening today to this 20-minute sample of NACSW's Podcast of the Month featured selection. Just a reminder that you can access the full-length version of this and all NACSW podcasts at no cost by simply becoming a member of NACSW or by ordering a copy of this podcast at a reasonable cost on NACSW's online bookstore. We also hope that you will consider participating in additional NACSW activities and events, including NACSW's upcoming convention in the fall, our quarterly audio conference workshops, which provide CEUs accredited by the Association of Social Work Boards, and our online continuing education program. Also, we invite you to join NACSW's Facebook group or our Facebook fan page. For additional information about these and other NACSW benefits and services, you can go to our website at www.nacsw.org. Thanks again for listening in to our podcast session today.